Welcome to Digital Hospitality. I am your host, Sean Walchef. This is a Cali BBQ Media production. Every single week, we talk about digital hospitality. We talk about offline businesses and online businesses and the blending of both of those. How can a barbecue restaurant become a media company? Those are the things that we dive into every week. Um, In order to do that, we bring on people that are much smarter than us, people that are doing absolutely incredible things that we admire in the digital marketing space, in the leadership space, in the coaching space, in the media space, entrepreneurship space, and people that actually put themselves out there. Um, Today's guest is a very serendipitous guest, um, Emily Silva uh, Hoxtra, is that correct? It is. Emily Silva Hoxtra. She is an author here in San Diego. She has written three incredible books. Um, One of the books um, that truly touched my heart and is the reason why she is here on this podcast is Sunrise Gratitude. Her latest book, um, for those of you that have followed along the podcast, you know that I've been doing my own daily Sunrise Gratitude journey, um, which started at the beginning of this year, thanks to David Meltzer, uh, my business coach, who we've also had on the podcast. And Sunrise Gratitude, it's really been a mindset for me. It's been something that has allowed me to focus on living a proactive lifestyle, uh, mind, body, and spirit. And um, I've started every single day waking up um, before 4 a.m., spending time reading, um, spending time before the sun rose, uh, getting outside, uh, listening to music, which I haven't done in a long time because I listen to so many podcasts, um, but listening to music and then being grateful when the sun came up um, and then also taking pictures and posting it on social. Uh, I, It's funny because I've always had a funny weird, prideful thing about never posting um, when I was working out. And it was only through seeing other friends that I admire and respect, seeing them post about themselves working out when I realized it wasn't about them bragging about working out. It was about them just documenting their journey. And I think that's something that's very humbling in a way. Um, It's something that I'm trying to work on. It's that the story is not about me. It's about what's happening and hopefully is inspirational to other people. Um, Emily, I started following the hashtag on Instagram, Sunrise Gratitude. And in my feed, I would start seeing incredible posts um, from Emily, from Soul's Adventures, um, her Instagram handle. And lo and behold, she was writing a book about Sunrise Gratitude, 365 days of daily meditations um, based off of the sunrise. And I have her book. Um, For those of you watching on YouTube, it is right here. Um, And for those of you that have been listening to the show, you know how much I love to read. And this is the first book that I've gotten that I forced myself not to read cover to cover. (laughs) <laughs> so congratulations, Emily. You have, you have slowed me down. You have made me more purposeful, more intentful to actually study every single day the one meditation um, as it pertains to me. And uh, I can't tell you how impressed I am with your work, um, how impressed I am with your journey, which is something I think all of our listeners are going to be really excited to hear. Uh, the, the people that we have on this podcast, I'm really fortunate that they're the ones that take a different path in life. Um, they realize that Um, going the way that everyone else goes isn't the way for them. And I think that's what makes them so compelling. Uh, Sam, the cooking guy, he's become a dear friend um, to me, to my family, um, to the show. We've been to all of his restaurant openings, even before he opened up his first restaurant. And he talked about on our Behind the Smoke podcast about his corporate job and working in um, real estate in the biotech industry and just driving to work and then having his hands on the steering wheel and going, fuck this. I, this can't be my life. And that's when he quit. And then he went down this path of essentially becoming a online influencer that's written. I believe he has four books out now. Um, he has 2 million YouTube subscribers. He has three restaurants and he's just one of the most fascinating people, but he's like you, you have this amazing story that the more that I learn, um, the more I was excited to have you on. So welcome to the show. Welcome to digital hospitality. Um, thank you for taking the time. Well, thank you so much for that introduction. And I got to learn a little bit more about you. I really appreciate being here today. 
Well, it's uh, it's so fascinating for me, the world that we live in and the digital hospitality world. Uh, the people that listen to this show know that we like to talk about oh shit moments. And those are the internet moments, kind of the universe um, telling you, yes, you're doing the right thing. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. Um, these are the signs that uh, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Um, I think what's compelling for me is... I've had a lot of those oh shit moments um, and somebody that owns a restaurant that owns a barbecue restaurant when I shouldn't be doing barbecue when we're talking about media, when we shouldn't be talking about media. I mean, everything we've kind of done along the way, people have told us that it wasn't our lane or it wasn't what we're supposed to be doing. And when I started researching about you and your life, um, I found so many compelling narratives that fit that same directive. And I, I, I really like you to take us back to, you know, Emily, when you were in school, what you were studying and kind of where that took you um, in your first, your first career or the career that you thought you were supposed to have. I'll try and get 20 years in five minutes or less. <laughs> no, don't not five minutes. This is long form podcasting. <laughs> That's the beautiful thing about content creation is we, we like to let people know it's it's when you start creating your own content, you can do what your heart desires. So please, uh, please, please give us the long form version and not the abridged. Well, I went to school to study history because I thought um, being a history teacher would be an amazing thing until I did some student teaching and realized that high schoolers don't like history. And <laughs> I was just shocked and saddened. Um, so I changed my my studies to just history because I do love to write. I do love history and I love the, the stories of people. So when I graduated, I realized I wasn't very hireable because as somebody with a history degree back in 2003, I mean, there wasn't really anything that I could go into except for getting my master's or Ph.D. in history, which I didn't want to do. And since I had student loans, I started working for WAMU, which is now J.P. Morgan Chase. They were a regional bank on the West Coast, and I learned how to become an investment banker. So it really wasn't out of passion that I did that. It was more out of necessity because I needed to pay off some student loans. Yes. I'm really grateful I had that job, though, because I learned about money because, you know, I kind of had like the bohemian take on life where you just do, I mean, I, I kind of still do, but now I've learned about money. <laughs> um, money so money is not, is not evil. Money, money provides us many opportunities to do things that we love to do. Yes. And I think that the timing for that job was perfect because it actually opened the door for my first spiritual awakening because during that time, the market crashed. So in 2008, for any of those who can remember, just shit hit the fan basically. And the market crashed. I was working for one of the banks that wrote a lot of those bad loans. And it was nerve wracking to go through that time. And I was only 27 years old and I felt like I was going to have a heart attack. And I was told that I had anxiety disorder. And of course, I kind of knew that because throughout my whole life, I had nervousness and I was very worried all the time. And the pediatrician just said I was a worry ward. And I don't think we really focused on anxiety in the 80s like we do now. Mm -hmm. So I was told that I had this thing called anxiety and it was like a light bulb went on that. Yes, my mind races all the time, which I think so many of us can relate to, especially the more that we are in media and we are in front of our phones. Yeah. But I didn't understand how to how to take care of it. So they wanted to prescribe me pills and I didn't want to take pills. So I found meditation and yoga. And it blew my mind because I grew up in a very strict religion where meditation and yoga were seen as Eastern things and sinful. And it was very taboo to even explore that. So at 27, waking up to this tool that is has changed my mind and my life and my world was a, a spiritual awakening. And I quit my job. I was like, I can't deal with this. This is not worth it. I don't want to die young. I don't want to have this anxiety. So I quit my job and I moved to Seattle for four months because I didn't last very long because the sun doesn't shine there. <laughs> and um, I knew it was time to leave when the locals were saying just buy a sun lamp. And I'm like, well, I'll just go home to say a sun yeah. lamp. Really? That was that was the solution. <laughs> that was the solution to get your vitamin D. Um 
so I came back home and I was traveling on my last $900. I went and visited a friend who lives in Australia and we were tasting wine and a winemaker said, you should get into the wine industry of a really good palate. Again, I didn't even know what that meant. I just knew that I liked wine and I knew that I could taste things like berries and oak and whatever. Um, so I came home and I'm from California and I just tried to find a job in winemaking, like in the wine industry, anything. I, I had no experience. I came from history to investment banking and I found a job as a courier for a distribution company in Sonoma County. So I was driving around in a cube. I don't know if those cars are even around anymore. <laughs> picking up wine samples and delivering wine making supplies. And of course I didn't want to do this for the rest of my life. So I was like, I'm going to learn how to make wine. I'm going to learn about winemaking. So every single pickup or drop off, I asked winemakers questions like, why do you do this? What's this for? Why did you pick this yeast? And I was persistent enough with the president of my company to put me in sales. Cause that was my background. I'm like, put me in sales. I'll learn how to make wine you know, give me the classes at UC Davis, whatever. I don't want to do this anymore. I know I can make you guys a lot of money. And he trusted me. Like I had no background in chemistry. I had no background in science. And he sent me to training and I got to go to Italy to learn the product line. It was just this like amazing opportunity. And I have wanderlust in my soul. So this job gave me the opportunity to travel the world on the company's dime and see some of the most beautiful places in the world. And from the outside looking in, it looked like a dream come true job. Like mm -hmm. people just thought, oh my God, you have like the best job ever. You're in Australia, you're in Sonoma County. I mean, California's wine country is gorgeous. Yeah. But my soul was unsettled and upset and was pushing me out. And I thought I was crazy because this is what I wanted. I worked so hard. I pushed for this. I was persistent. But I, my soul was like, you got to leave. This is not it. And so I pushed that voice down for about three years. You know, money's pretty attractive. They kept giving me raises. I was getting my bonuses. I was hitting my goals. I was feeling really successful externally. But internally, I was like dying inside in my my soul just got louder and louder until I became so miserable that things started happening at work, like a really bad relationship with my manager, where it was almost unbearable that if I, it was either me stay or he stay. And so we had a basically a coming to Jesus meeting with the president and they were like, neither of you are going anywhere. So you have to learn how to work this out. And I knew that was my cue. Yeah. And so I traveled to Costa Rica for my two week vacation and I went to this little hut where this woman taught intuitive painting. I was the only student. So she spent extra time with me and through this experience where I painted like nothing because I don't know how to paint, <laughs> the painting told me to quit my job. And she counseled me through it. I mean, in her broken English and we, it, it was just this very transformative experience. And I came home knowing I have to quit my job. So it took me three more months <laughs> to be brave three enough months, yeah. to say I quit. And they said, no, you know, let's, we'll pay you more. What do you need? And I'm like, no, this is it. I quit. I'll give you two weeks. They asked me for four. I gave them four. <laughs> And I had, in order to keep myself accountable to my quitting, I bought a one-way ticket to Bali. Okay. So I knew. Why, why Bali? I had been to Bali in 2012 after I had a broken heart and it was, it was transformative. Like Bali was, it just changed my life. It was so peaceful, so beautiful. Everything there is spiritual. Everything's there is spiritual. It's a Hindu country. So they worship everything. Mm -hmm. And the amount of sacredness that entered my day being there was something that I wanted to bring home. But I came home and I was in corporate America and the sacred was lost again. And so I knew that if I were to go to Bali on a one-way ticket, I could learn how to bring that sacredness back into my life, but I didn't want a time limit on it. So I knew that when I quit, I had this, you got to go, you got to leave the country on July 1st. There's no staying here. You have a ticket, you bought it. It's non-refundable. So I told them I'd give them four weeks. 
when I handed in those keys, it was like this weight lifted off my chest and my soul was free. And I, I boarded that plane thinking, okay, life's just going to fall into place now because I listened to my soul, but that's not how it works. (laughs) I got to Bali and it was supposed to be the beautiful dry season. You know, I had a, I rented a villa with a friend and we had a saltwater pool and it was just supposed to be this really chill writer's retreat for both of us. Cause she too is a writer and the rain started pouring down and didn't stop. And we, I kept running into things like rats and rabbit dogs. And it just turned into this, like, where a am bunch, I? A bunch of signs you weren't expecting. Absolutely. And I got bad news from home and it just was like, what am I doing here? Yeah. You know, why am I trying to create my life in a different country instead of create the sacred at home? Why can't I learn to do that at home? So what Bali taught me this time, because I think every time I go there, I get a lesson was the sacred is inside me. And that's when I started practicing gratitude and looking at the things in my life that were good. And that changed my life. And I started practicing gratitude under the full moon and it was raining, pouring, and I jumped in the pool in the rain and I did a backflow and the rain stopped, the clouds parted and there was the full moon and the full moon has been special to me ever since. So, which means the first book of mine is just super, super special to me because it's called Moonlight Gratitude and, and um, it's a nod to that time. So I came home after six weeks because I was like, you got, you got to figure out how to live in America, how to find the sacred, or if you're just going to be nomadic, like figure it out. So I came home. Um, I was live. I still live in Pacific beach at the time. And I was writing in a coffee shop and this guy walks into the coffee shop and told me this very sad story. This random stranger sat down at my table and I gave him some advice. And he said, you're a very good listener. That was amazing advice. You should become a life coach. And this was life coaching now is huge and it's blown up, but I didn't really know about life coaching. So I laughed at him because I didn't know it was a real job. And he's like, you should look into it. What year was this? This was 2014. 2014. Okay. Yeah. I'm just about to go into my sixth year in business or celebrate six years. So when did you start? And, your, when did you start your Instagram handle for soul souls adventures? I think 2015. 2015. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. So I, I, October, the last week of October, I started life coaching school in San Diego. And, um, basically the rest is history because that's when I started souls adventures. I started out trying to do spiritual life coaching, which is really hard to sell because people are like, what do you know? So (laughs) it transformed into resume coaching, which transformed into career coaching, which really sat well because I could teach people how to change careers successfully because I had done it several times. Yeah. And now it's morphed into spiritual coaching again, because I have been able to write my experience. I have been able to share meditation. I've been able to grow my audience. And um, that's what's near and dear to me is helping people tap into their soul, learn how to listen to their intuition, clear out the clutter, and live life where the sacred can be welcomed every day, no matter where you're at, because we shouldn't have to go to Bali or Costa Rica or even to church to find the sacred. We should just welcome it when we wake up, wake up like you do every morning on your 4 a.m. reading and welcoming the sunrise. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's it's extremely powerful, the practice of, of gratitude. And, you know, I'm, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I've been sober for eight years. Um, and one of the things that we talk about are the things that are outside of our control. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was very fortunate that NBC San Diego, they came and they did a piece about, you know, my recovery and um, about the sunrise gratitude practice that, that I had been embarking upon, but it, it's not about me. It's about understanding that when we simplify the things that happen every single single day and we get down to what is important, um, it really puts us in a different place. You know, if you start every day with a grateful heart, it puts us in a different place of all the anxieties, all the external factors. I mean, I can't tell you how many different restaurant owners I talk to, how many different business owners we talk to that they're worried about who's going to win the election or they're worried about the coronavirus. It's just a lot of things that we can't control. 
Mm-hmm. But what can we control? We can control the things that are right in front of us. And that's having deeper, more meaningful conversations. And I think that's something that, you know, it's really powerful to hear that you you took the leap of faith to go to Bali because that's where you felt your heart had to go. But then you realized that you actually could find those things that you wanted, that you deeply desired, that your soul desired here in San Diego. And when you found it, it actually became transformative. It became a new career path, um, not just in a career path for you to actually make an income, but also to have an impact. Um, I agree. And I think that I needed to go through all those things. Cause if you think about life coaching, like you want to learn from somebody who's been through something. Yeah. And I think that I needed that life before to go through all the struggles, the pain, the heartache. So I had a place to speak from. So I could offer empathy because I don't think empathy I I think you can feel fake empathy and fake sympathy. And when somebody's gone through something like recovery or like a heartbreak or like losing a job, and there's so much going on right now where people are just losing so much, the empathy can be transformative and could be a place that you hold for that person just to share their pain and help them find some glimmer of light. Because I think there's always light available. It just sometimes is dimmer. Yeah, I think, you know, we've we're fortunate that, you know, this podcast allows me to have different conversations with all different types of people, um, whether it's business focused, marketing focused, leadership focused. We've done a lot of mental health um, recently in the last um, probably the last couple episodes. Uh, Daryl Stinson is a suicide survivor that we had on, and it was one of the most impactful conversations that we've had from a listener standpoint where people actually reached out to us, uh, both to me and to him, to say how impactful it was. And it was really just two men being vulnerable um, in a way that doesn't happen typically in a business setting. Um, Even today in 2020, it it should happen more. We should focus more on how do we take care of ourselves? Um, Because if I don't take care of myself as a man, as a father, um, as a husband, um, then how can I be a leader? How can I expect to, you know, make an impact to do the things that we want to do with our barbecue media company, with the consulting that we're doing with, you know, trying to make an impact on our industry, trying to make it a better place. And I think, you know, one of the things that's powerful for me is to see in your story and your narrative really, which I think is very difficult for a lot of people. I know it's difficult for me is to realize that by sharing my vulnerabilities, by sharing who I am, I have to be able to be willing to do that, to know that it's not about me. You know, I have to really take care of myself first, but when I take care of myself and I share my sunrise gratitude or my sobriety journey or, you know, the struggles that I have as a leader or the failures that I have as a husband or as a dad, because I'm not perfect. I want to be perfect. But when I do that, that's when other people realize that like, Hey, it's okay. It's okay for us to, you know, have this conversation. And then I can have a deeper conversation with my best friend, you know, my best man. And when I do that, it's like, wow, you know, you go, wow. And you take your conversation goes into a place where there's actual healing that can happen. What, um, what, what kind of conversations did you have along the way with people in your corner that kind of were like, because we all have the naysayers that say they love us. And it's not that they don't love us, but they just also, you know, they want us to be an attorney or a doctor or an investment banker or whatever they want. And then there's the people that no matter what they go, Emily, follow your heart go to Bali, come back from Bali. It's okay. Um, I think, you know, this journey has created a lens for me to see friendships in a different way because I did lose friends along the way because it was, you know, Emily stay back. Emily, keep partying. Emily, you know, you're, you're not fun anymore. Um, and it just made me realize that the journey was was going to come to a head eventually and that that was even part of a gift <laughs> to see that you know one of the people that i was most worried about was my dad was like yeah. I'm, I'm about to leave corporate america you know the man worked 50 something years was just a, a true genuine worker and he was the follow your heart 
camp. And that was transformative for our relationship because I was worried, you know, Hey dad, I'm going to quit my job and I don't really know what I'm going to do. I'm going to live off my savings and we'll see how it goes. But then there were the friends that I thought were going to be the follow your heart camp that were like, what are you doing? You know, how are you going to make money? How are we going to, you know, continue our lifestyle the way we we had it? And, And, and when you go through a spiritual awakening, so much of you, your life changes because you have to put away some of the things that you used to do because they don't fit into your, your life anymore. They don't fit into the sacred. And I think the, the two different camps definitely showed up, but then the spaces that were left or created by the people who left were filled with these very vulnerable, beautiful, genuine relationships that I would not have been able to nurture if some of the things fell away. And I think that friendship death is part of the cycle of life. And it's also something that I speak to because, you know, some of my dearest friends have, you know, fallen away from, you know, 13, 14, 15 years, but I've learned to heal that. And I think when it goes to the vulnerability and being able to share that, that's not to say that I don't have these really painful times where I don't feel like I can't handle life and where I don't feel like life is going on. Like in the beginning of 2020, you know, we, my husband and I just realized we were going to deal with infertility. And that was a very personal, sad moment for both of us. And for me, especially because I felt like my body had betrayed me, it took me about four months to share it. And now that I'm sharing it, I have this space that I can hold for so many people that are dealing with this. And I see every single trial, every single pain as a gift because there's a lesson. And I think that if we can do that, we can shine our bright, our lights even brighter because our pain comes to us for a reason. I, I, it's, it's profound for you to share the infertility story. And I can't thank you enough for your courage. Um, infertility is something that is not talked about, um, especially from the people that we admire and we respect. And for my wife and I was, it took us three years and it took a lot of doctors telling us that I was broken. My wife was broken, that we couldn't have children. And, you know, we were lucky that we had, other friends and who are doctors as well that told us life, it will happen if it's supposed to happen. And, you know, we're, we're so blessed to have, you know, my son and my daughter, but I have friends too, that have gone through infertility. And that's something that is a very difficult thing to talk about. Um, and I can't thank you enough for your courage to, to share that here on the podcast, but also to share it as I'm sure you have the way that you've sure shared your soul with all of your amazing readers and all the people that follow you. I think it's, it's something that's so incredible in this day and age with digital, the way that we can share something, we can tap into a frequency of vulnerability and we can connect with people on all different parts of the globe that really need to hear that pain. Um, you know, we've had people share stories of their children passing, um, which is something that no father, no mother um, should ever have to experience. Um, but just through the sharing of those stories, it gives other people hope who have also lost a child. Um, just sharing that I've never met my father, writing an article about that, um, sharing it on a podcast. I realized how many people that I know in my life I had that had never met their father. Yeah. They never had that experience. And, you know, I'd love for you to tell me about the, the video that you made on Instagram uh, about the dedication that you gave to your father. Yeah. So my dad, like I said, is just a worker bee and I was not a morning person. And to write this book, I had to learn to be to like morning because I wanted to be authentic. And when I wrote the dedication, I wanted to think of the the morning person in my life. And, you know, there were a few that came up, but my dad was the number one person and he's just, uh, you know, we've had our, we've had our, our ups and downs as father and daughter, as most father daughters do. Um, but we've really grown closer. Like I said, in the last probably six years where he's just like a buddy of mine and I really wanted to honor him 
and honor the sacrifice he made for our family because my mom raised us, you know, was a stay at home mom. And my dad just went to the grindstone for years. So I thought this would be a way to honor him. So I went and visited them and there was a whole with COVID, there's a mix up on shipping. Like nobody knows when they're going to get anything. And I didn't know when I was going to get the book. So I called my mom and I said, if you get your book before me, do not show dad. I dedicated the book to him. (laughs) So we were able to keep him from the book. And I went up to their house and just, you know, he thought I was just showing him the book and talk about a vulnerable man. He gets the book and he just starts sobbing. And, you know, he emulated gratitude my whole life. Like we had some hard times growing up. Like we, we had low income times. We had times where we didn't know when we were going to eat times, you know, we got food baskets for Thanksgiving type of thing. And this man was grateful for everything. And when I think of sunrise and I think of gratitude, he's like the epitome of it because this man woke up before the sun, did his devotions, went to work joyfully, never complained about, you know, his 12 hour days, came home happy, ate dinner, dealt with all five kids, like probably super exhausted, but we wanted his attention and he gave it to us. So giving my dad the book and giving him this dedication was just very, very special. It was a beautiful moment. It's a beautiful moment that you shared too on Instagram. And it's, you know, it goes back to vulnerability and sharing the personal side of someone's story that, you know, it, it relationships, I mean, it's, your, it's, a, you know, a father and a daughter. And, you know, I can only hope that my, my relationship with my daughter, you know, as she continues to grow and we have deep relationships where we trust each other, where she sees, you know, my gratitude for the sunrise and things like that. It's, it's just, it's very, very powerful. And I, like I said, I I really appreciate you sharing that. I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about the struggle behind the struggle, Um, because it's easy to think that when you make these, these calls to the universe to, to go and follow your soul and to, you know, pursue your passion, that it's an easy journey to become the writer that you knew you always wanted to be as a little girl. Um, I know that you dealt with a lot of rejection. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about the rejection and how the first book actually came to be? How did they find you? Yeah. So when I was in Bali, I was writing a travel memoir and it was like, you know, how, how to heal a broken heart, eat, pray, love basically. And, (laughs) and I put it out there and I, I think I got about a hundred rejections and hundred rejections about. Yeah. So I, I feel like that was pretty big for an ego blow. Yeah, (laughs) I was like, 10 is an ego blow. Yeah. I was like, this book is a lot of the great authors. It's, it's, I mean, Paulo Coelho, he, he famously got rejected by hundreds. I think he was up in the hundreds of rejections, but, um, you know, I'm glad that it wasn't published because looking back, I'm like, Oh boy, I was writing from a place of hurt. (laughs) I had no insight. I was just writing it like it was in the moment. So I'm glad my journal didn't get published. Um, so I had all these rejections and I just decided, okay, I'm not going to try anymore. I'm going to give up on trying to get a book published. So this was January 1st of 2016. It was basically a new year's resolution. I was going to stop dating and I was going to stop trying to get published. And then on January 27th, I received an email from a publisher asking me if I wanted to write a book on mindfulness meditation. And I thought it was a joke because, you know, I was like universe, I told you (laughs) I'm not going to write books anymore. Um, and it wasn't a joke. And it was for Moonlight Gratitude. And when she and I spoke, I said, do you realize how important the moon is to me? And she's like, no, it's just something that we thought that you would be a good author for. And every single book that I've written has been very serendipitous. And it's been very like, oh my God, did you know to the publisher? They're like, no. So they let me put my flavor into it. But 
on January 27th was also the day that I met my husband. So I feel like to go back to the struggle to the, behind the struggle, you, I had so much heartbreak. I had so much rejection. I had so much like telling the universe, this is my intention and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to build my business in 2016. That's all I'm going to do. And then I fall in love and I get a book deal. And it was there was struggle behind that because I was trying to write a book and foster a relationship and then also deal with building my company. Also, you know, I was dealing with opening my heart again, which was terrifying because I had been hurt so badly and been told that I was unlovable that the whole first four months of our relationship, I'm like, love me, love me, love me. And he is a gift, of course. And he says, you're enough. And it was the first time in my life that I heard you're enough. And then I had struggled to accept that I was enough to accept that I was worthy. So I feel like there's, when you open yourself to be, to be spiritually awakened or to be, to learn lessons, they never stop. You know, this year, my word for the year was flow. And I was like, I'm just going to go with the flow this year. Whatever happens in my life and business is going to happen. I get news of infertility and then COVID happens. And then I'm stuck (laughs) in my apartment with my husband for six months. And, you know, we did a lot of ironing out of the relationship during that time. And so it's not an easy road where you just lay your life out to the universe and it's all roses and spiritual awakenings because it's painful. It's tough, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah, I think that's um, very important for people to hear because it is one thing to go down an entrepreneurial path. It's another thing to go down a spiritual path and you want things to continue to work. And I think that's probably one of the you know most powerful things through my recovery is that it's through storytelling that we learn that it's one day at a time yes. because if we don't do it one day at a time, then the next day, no matter how many years that I'm sober, eventually, if I don't take care of myself, if I don't put, you know, the, what, what we talk about when I went to therapy for the first time, my, my brother, he got into some serious, um, legal nationally covered legal problems, um, where he was facing attempted murder. Um, and he, we grew up in La Jolla. Um, so that was something that was on the front page of newspapers and TV all over um, the United States. And, um, it was just a very tragic, terrible, um, accident that happened. And, uh, At that point, I was taking care of my grandfather, I was taking care of my grandmother, I was taking care of my mom, my brothers, um, taking care of his business. And, you know, I was I was young, I was 24 years old. Um, One of my closest friends, his father, he told me, he's like, Sean, you know, I love you. I'm here for you. I'll listen to you. But you need to go see somebody. You know, you need some help from somebody that's objective and not subjective, that they they can actually listen to you and they can help you. And then, you know, I'll never forget what the therapist told me. And that was that when you go traveling on a plane and they're going through the safety protocols, the stewardess, um, she goes, well, when when the mask comes down um, and they need oxygen and you're traveling with the family, what are you supposed to do? You know, and as a man, what do you think you're supposed to do? You're supposed to take care of the women and the children. That's what chivalry is. That's what you're, you know, supposed to do. But if you don't put the mask on yourself first, you become help. You could become worthless. You become worthless to your kids. You become worthless to your wives. You become worthless to everybody else on the plane. And like that's just a very powerful metaphor for a lot of the things that I go through in sobriety. A lot of the things I go through as a man. Um, a lot of the things that I read in your book every single day. Um, it's about the recentering, you know, it's about the recentering and taking care of ourselves. And it's a weird thing to be selfish, right? I, I think, you know, you, you in particular and the things that you write, I'm sure at a certain point you felt like, is this selfish? But it, in order to be selfless, in order to accomplish the things that we want to accomplish, we have to be selfish. We have to be selfish. We have to be vulnerable. That's where all the power is. I think to your point, it's, it is time to flip the script on, you know, what it means to be a man. I I watch my husband doing that in his work. He's a, he's a coach for men and it's about taking care of yourself because he can't show up for our marriage 
if he's not taking care of himself and it definitely, and women too, where there's a self-care movement, but this isn't about bubble baths. This is about diving into your spirituality and what is it that your soul actually needs? Cause some of the self-care stuff is, you know, like walking and, and bubble baths are great, but if we're not taking care of mind, body, and soul, we can't be there for our spouse, our friends, our children, our grandparents, like all those people you had to take care of during that time. It had to have been so stressful. Very stressful. And, you know, it's, it's the things that I get to have conversations like this and the reaction that we get from our amazing audience that listens and the people that send us emails and they send us DMs from the stories that, you know, that's what life is about. It's about digital storytelling now in a way, because we can amplify the message that you and I, we wouldn't be able to have this conversation if it wasn't for the technologies of Zoom and podcasting and YouTube. And we can repurpose this Ian and Stover, my team, they're going to do an incredible job writing an article about it, which hopefully more people can find your book, but it it's important to have the conversation because it makes me think about my wife, you know, and I've made this incredible practice of sunrise gratitude to take care of myself. But it wasn't until I started talking about it on multiple podcasts, talking about it in my recovery group, talking about it to my best friend, where I realized like the stresses that my wife is having as having just had two kids are our son that's three just started going to daycare. Our daughter's one and a half. Like she spent all of these childbearing years taking care of them, making sure they're okay. But she hasn't had any time for herself. She hasn't had the time to put the mask on herself. I need to give her that space to do that. And I need to give her permission to say that that's okay. And she also had three years of dealing with infertility and probably there's a lot of stuff in her head and about her body that happened because when you hear that news, you're like, I'm a failure as a woman. Cause that's what we have, but we're here to bear children. Yeah. And what, do you, what, how are you working through that news for you and your, you, you and your husband? It was really about learning to love my body again, learning to accept its functions and learning to, to have that hard conversation with him. Because when we, well, on our first date, he was like, I want six children. I want a big family. We both come from big families. And my story in my head was he doesn't love me because I can't give him six children. So I had to get vulnerable to ask him, is it okay that I can't give you six children? And he was like, what? And I said, on our first date, you said this. And he goes, oh my God, I totally forgot. Like my story in my head was he's waiting for me to produce six children. And his story in his head is, is she okay? Yeah. And the way that we're, we have had to deal with it was just have these conversations with each other. Like, this is the story I'm telling myself about my body and the way that you perceive me. Is this true? And that's a very vulnerable place for a woman because we want to believe that our husbands just love us, like think our bodies are amazing. But when we're hating on our bodies, it's really hard to say, do you still love me? Do you still love my body? One of the things that I've done for myself to get out of my head and more into my body is I'm currently in yoga teacher training right now because I think what better way to learn my body than to learn how to move with my breath. Yeah. So it's been very transformative for me. I'm taking eight weeks, you know, I'm not really trying to get business right now. I'm just taking these eight weeks to come back into my body Mm -hmm. to tell my body, like you are the vessel I was given. All my functions are perfect the way that they are. And this story is just part of my journey. And we've come to the point where if we have children, if it happens and there's, there's still 10% hope. If that happens, we're so excited. But if it doesn't happen, we're so excited because we have a beautiful life. We we love each other. And this has actually brought us closer together because we can have these really difficult, kind of ugly conversations and come out of them more understanding, more in love and more compassionate and empathic towards each other because he you know, as a man who wants to father, I mean, he didn't, 
he didn't get the chance to really express it until I asked him, how do you really feel about like, tell me if you're angry, tell me, I want to know this because I don't want you to pretend to be okay while I'm crying about this. Like, tell me how you feel. And I think that's really helped us. Yeah. I think the uncomfortable conversations are the ones that we always steer away from that. We always know that, they're the ones that are actually going to be the most transformative, especially with the people that we love the most. Um, when it comes to something personal, when it comes to something that deals with expectations or hopes, dreams, failures. Um, I think that's something that is, uh, is very powerful. And I hope that people that are listening to the podcast that they're, you know, are willing to have those uncomfortable conversations, um, and to do them in the right space. There's never a right time. There's never a right time to have that conversation, but not having the conversation doesn't make it go away. And I think it's really important that when we do agree to have these conversations with each other, that we agree to hold space. So, you know, for instance, for my husband and I, when I'm talking, like, let me, let me let it out instead of interrupting. And so there was an agreement there where, you're not going to, you're not going to, you can disagree with me, but you're not going to interrupt. So I can unload and vice versa, because these things have to be put into light or else they live in shame. They live in guilt. They live in depression. You know, they could even go as far as suicide, but we have to shine a light. And Brene Brown so geniusly says, we have to shine a light on shame. So it doesn't have a place to live, you know, paraphrasing. So that's what I always think about when I'm feeling shame, which is, which has been often this year is like, okay, time to shine a light because I'm feeling shame and there's no room for shame. I need to talk about this. That's very powerful. Brene Brown, does she have a Netflix special? Because I that's the the vulnerability um, talk that my wife and I, we just watched on Netflix and I highly, highly recommend, but it's, it's powerful. It, it's so powerful because it gets to the underlying message of digital hospitality of the things that we talk about. It's when you're vulnerable as a leader, when you're vulnerable as a company, when you're vulnerable as a human, you realize that's where that's the compelling story. I mean, that's the story that we all, because we know, we know it's not bullshit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we know it's not all just, you know, fancy cars and mansions and, you know, beautiful butterflies and rainbows. Yes. Those things are important, but there's also the difficulties that we have to deal with. But every single day, if the sun comes up, you know, we can be grateful and what can we be grateful for? And it's, um, you know, it's having deep, deep connections with people like you um, that continue to give back. Uh, Emily, I'm so grateful that we got to meet through Instagram. Um, Me too. The last thing I would love for you to tell is your, your story of, uh, of, of Barnes and Noble of going to find uh, Moonlight Gratitude the first time you got it published and um, kind of give us a, a behind the scenes of how that happened with your, your husband, Phil, Filming, filming your your dream as a little girl to to be published in Barnes and Noble. I didn't know he was filming, <laughs> so we had just gone on a hike in East County, and so we were in our hiking clothes. And I just was like, "Hey, let's stop in La Mesa because I had seen on the website that La Mesa had a few copies in stock." So we stopped, and I couldn't find it anywhere in the store. So I went over to the customer service desk and she's like, Oh, I've never heard of that book and found it, walked me over to it. And I told her that I was the author. I was blushing. Um, she walked away. I started crying. He's videotaping the whole thing. And it was just, you know, when I was nine years old, I visualized my books on a bookshelf in a store and in the library. And Let's see, I was probably 36 when this happened. So 25, 27 years later, seeing this dream come to fruition, that's just another like tidbit of information. Like just because you dream, it doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> so never give up on uh, your dreams. We, yeah, we like to say it's low and slow, like our barbecue. Don't, it, don't, don't expect things to happen fast. Yes. And so it was, it was mind blowing. It was a dream come true. And, um, I was too shy to sign the books that day, but now when I see my books in bookstores, I ask them if I can sign them because it, it really is, you know, 
just comes to fruition that you can have something in your heart for so long and visualize it. And it doesn't come the way you think it's going to come. It's better. And the feeling is pretty overwhelming. And I never, I never stop having pinch me moments. Like this is my third book and I'm still like, oh my God, I have three books and I see them on my desk. And it's just so exciting to me that people are reading my words. Like that's crazy. Well, that's the the thing that, that I, I just, I love so much that you got the book deal because you were publishing on Instagram when you don't think that anyone's watching and you don't think anyone's reading. And I think that's, you know, one of the lessons that we talk about on this podcast is that you, you have to, you have to find out what, what inspires you every single morning when you, when you wake up, what inspires you, what thought drives you, what do you, what makes you curious, uh, you know, stay curious, get involved and ask for help. What are those things for you? And when you go to bed, what are you thinking about? Once you find those things, we live in an incredible world where you can just start sharing. You can start sharing those ideas, you know, in audio form, video form, written form on Instagram, Twitter, whatever your platform is, start sharing those ideas, start being more, more vulnerable. And, you know, you can start to create an incredible life. Um, the amount of people that you've impacted, I've seen all the testimonials for all the coaching that you do for other women. Um, I've seen the readers that have written back about the impact that you've made. I've heard you on other podcasts. Um, you truly are a gift and you're only getting started. So um, any, anything that you need from us, um, our listeners, we're here to help. Um, please, Sunrise Gratitude, that's the one I'm, I'm biased. I say start with that one. Um, but then uh, Emily has two other incredible books um, she has an incredible blog. Follow her on Instagram, Souls Adventures. And uh, any parting words of wisdom, Emily? Why don't I read today's Sunrise Gratitude? I would love that. Okay. Or I could read your birthdays, but you don't want to read. When's your birthday? January 2nd. I got to I gotta wait. That's, that's my every, you don't every want to read it? Okay. No, not yet. It'll be a birthday gift. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Okay, so October 27th. On cooler mornings, it feels inviting to stay in bed a bit longer. Stepping out from under the covers to start the day can also be invigorating. Our thoughts create our reality. Enjoy the warmth of the covers as well as the rush of starting your day. Be grateful for the comfort of your bed and the sleep you just had, as well as the cool air and the start of a new day. There is a good side to everything. I think my, my parting words for just to piggyback on what you just said is share your voice. You never know who's watching, listening, reading. Um, you never know who you're touching. Just like, you know, my dad had no idea that me watching him wake up every single morning as a child would result in a dedication to a book. Just same with you, Sean. Like I'm sure your daughter and son both see you just living this beautiful story, sharing your story, being, being, being vulnerable. And I'm just so grateful for Instagram and the hashtag, which is so funny to say, but I really am because when I saw your story, you know, addiction has been in my family and I think it's beautiful the way that you talk about your struggles and also your victories. I really appreciate it. And uh, we're grateful for everybody that's listening. You're, you're part of the kinship if you're listening to the podcast. So don't be, don't be hesitant to reach out. Um, there's never been a better time to connect with the people that move you and compel you. And um, Emily and I, we are both here for you. So um, reach out and we will catch you guys next week. Thank you.